Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog of Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian teachers unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. Hello, I'm Scott Postman, your host, and I'm joined by Joffrey Swate, our academic advisor and co-host of the Consortium Podcast. Joffrey, how's it going today? I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to an episode that will be consummately practical. Yes. And philosophically immediate. Ooh. Well, we made a promise that we were going to shift to more practical uh, applications of classical education in the home, and we are going to do that. We have some very serious you know, practical applications, but there's no way really to get there without talking about the philosophy of it. Right. And yeah, so I, I don't know if you realize this, but we're, we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, worldview, some worldview theory and, and, and things like that in this episode. And um, Gene Vaith, um, speaking of Francis Schaeffer, calls him a postmodern theologian hmm. because that's a postmodern idea to try to critically you know, deconstruct the different worldviews that are at play in the, um, huh, in the I, world. I hadn't heard that. That's I had, cool. Yeah. So interesting. That label is, yeah, I hadn't yeah. heard that. That's interesting. That was very cool. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about uh, critical theories mm-hmm. and how this plays out into the world. And in practically, what do we do as uh, a homeschool family, as, as a public school family, as a private school family, wherever you're at in the education spectrum, what do we do with the knowledge that we have? And so we want to start by understanding it, and then we want to apply it in real-life ways. Right, absolutely. I mean, the the political crises that we see around us, uh, the, the explosions of, of, of race riots and r- racial rhetoric, um, but even down to a, a problem that has been of long standing, at least in the lives of young adults and teenagers mm-hmm. in this society, um, that of identity, right, right, and so you know there, there is it, it is a a question, a matter of of pressing urgency, because regardless of uh, what your family is like and you know what you've set up for your kids, uh, all of our children are encountering this in one way or another, and it is insidious. It is insidious. It's. Um and it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could we say sorry, it's ubiquitous? You, ubiquitous as well. Uh, sorry, we've yeah. been in this little bit of a role this morning with uh, playing word games. But in any case, uh, so. <laughs> well, let's, since, since you're still recovering from my uh, my hilarity. Yes. Um, so we're, we're, we're going to be talking here about critical theory and where it comes from. And. I say critical theory instead of critical race theory, right? Because we're we're going to start already having taken a step back. Mm-hmm. Critical race theory is not the only critical theory out there; it's all part and parcel. Uh, so let's start with that. Like, what is critical theory? Yeah, well, that's really good because, um, as, as you mentioned, you know, these things like critical race theory are manifestations of this critical theory, and and they show up in different you know different ways. Uh, disability and fat studies; these mm. are real real things. Um, queer theory, post-colonial theory, racial theory, gender theory. And these are all critical theories that um, manifest themselves into activism around those particular identities. Right. Well, you know what you mentioned about uh, that, that part, the Vitz labeling of uh, uh, of Schaefer, you know, pulling something apart, right? And mm-hmm. uh, that's a hallmark of of postmodernism. Right. So we're going to want to talk about how critical theories 
came from postmodernism. But what you mentioned about activism is is very important. I think it's almost inevitable that because we're human beings who who make and destroy things, um, who eat calories and then expend them, right. uh, that it would become activists, that it would become practical. Um, but it, it's important to note that we're not just talking about a philosophy or a theory, even though theory is 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 in the is in the name. We're talking about activism, about changing the world, molding it to be a certain way, yeah. which is what people do. Right. People it, should mold the world. It is, and and it just depends on who's molding it, right? So, what what you were just describing is sometimes what we call the fallacy of the slippery slope, right? So there's mm. there is this this idea, and 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 while it may be a technical fallacy that in any given case a theory must manifests itself into some sort of activism given human nature you know more times than not the slippery slope is, is yes. even though in, in in dialectic it is a it is a, a considered a fallacy but because of human nature it always goes that way so right. postmodernism is is re you know postmodern postmodernism in itself would basically die on the vine because of its view of relativism, right? But what activists do is they actually, they make postmodernist theory into an objective truth. Right, which is, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's being done. Uh, that has that has been done since the bankruptcy of modernism, right? right? And so, I mean, we we have a very famous theory that is not treated as a theory at all by the establishment, uh, which is Darwinism, mm -hmm. right? Yep. That, that's still a theory, right? And it doesn't matter. Like we 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 not only use it to, for a convenient operating platform, uh, it is actually orthodoxy. Right. Right. So theories are supposed to work. So we're going to assume this until disproven. And not only that, but we're also going to explore other things and see what else we, if we can, if we can disprove this. Uh, but, but it's, it's valid to use it as an operating theory. Yeah. As it, an operating platform. Uh, but Darwinism is, is now orthodoxy. These theories that people are fighting to make critical theory orthodoxy. Yes, it, it it makes itself into an actual um, objective reality. It has its own ontological being, if you will, in, in that now that it becomes the established narrative of right. what it is. And we and, should unpack that. Yeah. But, but before we do that, maybe let's, let's actually talk about, I'm sorry for hijacking the microphone. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> After Scott tried to talk a couple of times, I realized I would have to acknowledge it on <laughs> on air here. Uh, but let's actually talk about postmodernism first. Okay. So so this is this is really good. Um, my, my little caveat I want to throw in there is one way we can see this actually happening in the past um, is Marxism. Mm -hmm. So if you were to, to look at Karl Marx 19 or his 1844 Paris papers, um, by 1848, uh, he himself with, with, uh, Engel, they, they actually, you know, you, you have the communist manifesto that is a call to action, right? right? So in the very beginning, it's theory. What if, you know, he's asking lots of what if questions. And then by the time, you know, within, you know, five years, it's now it's become, um, you know, activism. Okay. And so postmodernism itself, um, and let me just lay out a few, um, really two principles, four major themes that we need to know about postmodern knowledge. Okay. Number one, it expresses skepticism about the attainability of truth and objective knowledge. So it denies that we can know what reality is. Okay. Again, this is before the activism, this is postmodern thought. 
The postmodern political principle, on the other hand, revolves around the belief that the knowledge of uh, that circulating in society is predetermined by a social hierarchy and systems of power. So what knowledge there is, what reality that we claim exists, has been socially constructed by some group of people. Right. It has nothing to do with any sort of objective truth. And so postmodernism leads to despair. Right. But people don't want to despair. Yeah, they, they want to act. They want to live. The absurdist Camus said, really, the only philosophical question there is is whether or not to kill yourself. Right, right, <laughs> right. And so, so that is that that's a, a true postmodernist uh, is, uh, is is a, a stoic who has despaired. Yeah. Right. So, so there's really so there's these two things. OK, that leads to the despair. That is, there is no objective truth. You can't know reality. And any reality that we do know is simply socially constructed. One way maybe to just illustrate this is the historian paradox. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea of history, all we know is the narrative. Okay. The postmoderns will say, you can't really know what history is right? because you weren't there. All right. And even if you were there, you wouldn't be able to discern all of the influences that made history what it is. True enough. And now somebody's told a story about it. We have no way of verifying the knowledge of whether that is real or not. So that becomes the narrative that's truth. And so we could just deconstruct it, reconstruct it into whatever we want. And that actually serves as a reality. Yeah. Which is why ultimately it's going to make sense to knock down statues. Right. Exactly. That's so, so there you see it playing out in its activism. Now it also, so these, these are the two main principles, but then there's these themes that sort of guide it. Um, And so the, the uh, four major themes are the power of language. Okay. So all reality is a language construction. Right. right? So it's, it's how we use language uh, in a, in a way to assert power. Second is the loss of the individual and the universal. So we move from the individual or the universal, you know, the, the state uh, versus the individual kind of context to group identities. Right. Okay. So it's all about fragmented group group identities. Yeah. And then we have the cultural relativism that we, mm-hmm. we kind of talked about. So it's it's what is what is right or wrong is really just what society has decided it is. Okay. And then there's this blurring of boundaries. You're you're not going to put me in a box. And and one of the ones I want to I'll, I'll just mention as an illustration is queer theory. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in in queer theory, and and this is a little weird to talk about, but in queer theory, the idea is that you're not man or woman, you're not heterosexual or homosexual, but you're something else. And by trying to define somebody in those categories is a social construct that is an assertion of power. Right. right? So queerness falls outside of that in their mind. And so now we have this queer identity that we want to blur the boundaries, assert ourselves as the actual valid thought. Which is why people who are, who subscribe to identity politics and philosophy, people who are into critical theory, they are personally affronted for good reason Mm -hmm. within, within their world. When you tell a man who says he's not a man, that he is a man. Right. Because you are dominating him, attempting to dominate him. With your language. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you know, So if he, he wants to assert his sovereignty over himself with his language, 
and you're you're going up again you're going against that and he doesn't have a frame of reference for no i'm appealing to some sort of absolute truth that doesn't exist well and that leads to this problem today that we talk about the systemic racism we hear in the political sphere all the time yeah and and one of the reasons we wanted to talk about this today before i i get into that is to realize that all of this that is playing out in the schools and we're going to read a letter here in a few minutes in politics all these things that we're confronted with they're not just a group of crazies, you know, who've just come up with this. This is actually rooted in a particular philosophy that has manifested itself into activism. Okay. Right. So the example of the systemic racism says this, or this, this is the theory. Okay. Because all reality is a social construct, the idea of empirical evidence and reason to bring us to truth is an actual power structure by white European males who straight males who have dominated the culture for the last, you know, whatever, since the enlightenment. Okay. So we throw out reason, uh, or we throw out the white straight male because reason and empirical evidence is what has guided thought is no longer seen as valid. When you compare it to femaleness, blackness, homosexuality, gender, whatever. So all of these, what they call intersectionality, all become just as valid truths um, with, within these. And the more you can add, the higher your you know validity yes. gets. Right? And, and this is also, by the way, why scholars can speak with a straight face about white mathematics. Right. That's, that is exactly right. So two plus two doesn't have to equal four, except in the white straight male world, right? right. <laughs> who, who created this. So, so now superstition, feelings or emotions, these are all just as valid yep. um, as empirical evidence. And these are things that it, in an empirical world are seen as weakness. And I, and I think I'd like to read a quote from Michel Foucault, yeah. a book uh, called Nietzsche, Genealogy and History. Um, in which he, he basically predicts the way this power struggle would go yeah. by just observing, you know, by, by, by putting his template over history. And, okay. and this is, before you read that quote, this is the idea that where it goes from the, the ivory tower into activism. Right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. The natural. Yeah. So humanity, humanity does not gradually progress from combat to combat until it arrives at universal reciprocity where the rule of law finally replaces warfare. Humanity installs each of its violences in a system of rules. There's that, yeah. right? This, it's a constructed system. And thus proceeds from domination to domination. The nature of these rules allows violence to be inflicted on violence and the resurgence of new forces that are sufficiently strong to dominate those in power. Okay, so that's established <laughs> the world. Now here's how it ends up unfolding. Rules are empty in themselves, violent and unfinalized. They are impersonal and can be bent to any purpose. The successes of history belong to those who are capable of seizing these rules to replace those who would use them, to disguise themselves so as to pervert them, invert their meaning, and redirect them against those who had initially imposed them. Controlling this complex mechanism, they will make it function so as to overcome the rulers through their own rules. And that is what is being attempted now, right? And, I am the victim. Yeah. I were inverting the rule. So now the victim is the powerful one. Well, and, and so this becomes an explicit, um, you know, 
this isn't just theory. I mean, this sounds like a call to action, right? Yeah. Okay. And so what these activists have done is taken this, this idea and it's no longer a, a sort of like implicit, this is kind of our agenda. This is an explicit activist, um, you know, we're, we're putting this forth as the new reality. And so, so the, the goal here is dominance. The goal here is that if you are in one of these categories that I just mentioned, disabled, obese, queer, post-colonial, racial, uh, or gender, you know, feminist, all of these actually, these identity groups have the same valid or actually more validity and should be asserted just by nature of the fact that they have been oppressed. Right. So the, the skepticism moves from the enlightened Descartes, you know, I think therefore I am, that's how I can know I suffered. Therefore I am, and I deserve now to be asserted. So this is why we would pick someone in one of these categories in a, um, you know, whatever, in a political uh, place or, or a station of power over someone who may be more qualified. Yes. Well, in postmodernism, it, it it talked about deconstruction because really one of the goals of postmodernism was to be one of the smart people, yeah. one of the people who understood how the world works. The <laughs> transformation then comes into, you know, people saying, well, if that's how power works, let's do this. Right. Let's take, let's take power, which of course was going to happen. And so that means because, you know, we can look around in the world and see this happening now, whether we live in, in rural Alabama or in New York city, it's happening and we are having to confront it to one degree or another all over the West. So that means that we have to make decisions as parents serious decisions, serious calls to action. And there's the letter that I want you to read from from this father here in a second. Let me make one comment as we move into the the real practical application. What what you just read in the the, um, Foucault quote, okay, um, what the activist, the, the critical theory activists have done, they've, they've actually undone postmodernism. Mm. By using postmodern, because remember, postmodernism deconstructed reality. It's all relative, but then the theorist said postmodern theory is now the objective reality. Right. So, so they have replaced real reality with this and said this is objective. This truth. is how we're going to live. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so now it's being asserted in every realm possible. You see it in corporations. You see it in the public school system. Yeah. This is the big fights. And as soon as you decide to live that way, you become a bully. That's right. why we see, see all this bullying because the entire world is about power. Right. You know, and when I used the word victim earlier, I immediately thought of the great victim of Jesus Christ right. and how perverted uh, that's, that's become uh, because there is, there is no room in a critical theory world for mercy. Right. Uh, because it's at all costs. This is the reality yeah. that has to be asserted to bring equality about. Yeah. So here's this letter. Yeah. Um, it's uh, written by a parent uh, of, a, of a student at a school called Breerly, a private all-girls school on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Upper East Side of Manhattan. <laughs> $54,000 a year. Pocket change. Yeah. (laughs) Prospective parents have to take an anti-racism pledge to be considered for admission. And, uh, well, uh, critical race theory particularly had begun to take hold there. And uh, one parent, uh, a dad named Andrew Gutman, withdrew his child and wrote a letter to the administration of the school and to every single parent. And we're going to read the entire letter. This is back in April. 
Dear fellow Brearley parents, our family recently made the decision not to re-enroll our daughter at Brearley for the 2021-22 school year. She has been at Brearley for seven years, beginning in kindergarten. In short, we no longer believe that Brearley's administration and board of trustees have any of our children's best interests at heart. Moreover, we no longer have confidence that our daughter will receive the quality of education necessary to further her development into a critically thinking, responsible, enlightened, and civic-minded adult. Oh, there's so many I, words. I, I can see. I said enlightened, and your your just eyes just bulged. Well, just yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm going to stop. You keep reading. The- I write to you as a fellow parent to share our reasons for leaving the Brearley community, but also to urge you to act before the damage to the school, to its community, and to your own child's education is irreparable. It cannot be stated strongly enough that Brearley's obsession with race must stop. It's like a microcosm of our society. I have to stop you yeah. because <clears throat> because this, okay, so tying that back to the, the, the comment that he made about his daughter not being able to think critically, this is exactly, this isn't a game, this is the reality for them that feelings or what they perceive to be racism that isn't really racism, but what they perceive to be racism, the systematic racism is opposed to critical thinking. Okay. So this is critical thinking has caused the, it is the source of systematic racism. So we must overthrow critical thinking. Right. I mean, this is literally where they're coming from and the person's feeling that they are in some way being, um, you know, being mistreated or oppressed because of their race, their feeling is just as valid and actually carries more weight than the empirical evidence that they aren't. And they can think that because they know that reality is shaped by words. It's shaped by words. Which, by the way, should uh, be a, a a clarion call to action to listen to our episode on the <laughs> on the importance of poetry and speech. Yes. Uh, we ourselves should be lords of the word. It should be abundantly clear, continuing with the letter, yes. to any thinking parent that Brearley has completely lost its way. The administration and the board of trustees have displayed a cowardly and appalling lack of leadership by appeasing an anti-intellectual, illiberal mob and then allowing the school to be captured by that same mob. What follows are my own personal views on Brearley's anti-racism initiatives, but these are just a handful of the criticisms that I know other parents have expressed. I object to the view that I should be judged by the color of my skin. I cannot tolerate a school that not only judges my daughter by the color of her skin, but encourages and instructs her to prejudge others by theirs. By viewing every element of education, every aspect of history, and every facet of society through the lens of skin color and race, we are desecrating the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and utterly violating the movement for which such civil rights leaders believed, fought, and died. I object to the charge of systemic racism in this country and at our school. Systemic racism, properly understood, is segregated schools and separate lunch counters. It is the interning of Japanese and the exterminating of Jews. Systemic racism is unequivocally not a small number of isolated incidences over a period of decades. Ask any girl of any race if they have ever experienced insults from friends, have ever felt slighted by teachers, or have ever suffered the occasional injustice from a school at which they have spent up to 13 years of their life, and you are bound to hear grievances, some petty, some not. We have not had systemic racism against blacks in this country since the civil rights reforms of the 1960s, a period of more than 50 years ago. Whoa. Enough so, with the objectivity, sir. I, 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 so I got to stop you again, and I'm sorry, because yeah. I mean, this letter no, is so yeah, good. Let's do this. First, first of all, kudos to this dad. I mean, this guy is phenomenal. But here is the, here is the problem with the critical theorists who have, have gotten a toehold in the cultural shaping or, you know, the, the, the shaping power. Um, 
the culture shaping power. That's the word I'm looking for. All right. So they've got a toehold here, but objectivity is the enemy to them. Yeah. So, and, and so as ironic as it might sound, while we're thinking about civil rights, they would like to overthrow the civil rights movement. Yes. They would argue that there's a difference between being a person who's black and being a black person. Well, it's like being a first or second wave feminist. That's not feminist enough anymore. Well, it isn't. These are the enemies actually of true liberalism. And, and I don't mean conservative liberal thought. I mean, the liberalism that, that we would think as conservative is, is like, well, this is over on the left. Yeah. The liberalism of the 1950s. Yes. This is, this is not that they would hate that kind of liberalism because it doesn't go far enough. Right. So, so continuing on uh, systemic racism to state otherwise that it, it, you know, it is a flat-out misrepresentation of our country's history and adds no understanding to any of today's societal issues. If anything, long-standing and widespread policies such as affirmative action point to precisely the opposite direction. I object to a definition of systemic racism, apparently supported by Brearley, that any educational, professional, or societal outcome where blacks are underrepresented is prima facie evidence of the aforementioned systemic racism or of white supremacy and oppression. Facile and unsupported beliefs such as these are the polar opposite to the intellectual and scientific truth for which Brearley claims to stand. Furthermore, I call BS on Brearley's off-stated assertion <laughs> that the school welcomes and encourages the truly difficult and uncomfortable conversations regarding race and the roots of racial discrepancies, which is, that's another thing right. that comes up. This is my own voice now. Um, where it, it's we cannot actually talk about real racism anymore no, because everything is racism. Well, be, the fact that you're wanting to have rational discourse is racist. Right. Because the fact that you would use reason, that's a racist construct that has allowed you to dominate for all these years. And do we see how it built into how, the, how this world of theirs works is the temper tantrum. It is. Right. Yes. You, you, it's, it, that's, that's, you, you have to invert the power. And so, because there's no, we can't have an objective argument. It's just, I just have to point out that I am offended by your attempt to dominate me. Can that's you, ima it. can you imagine the chaos if this theory were to become the dominant thinking pattern? But imagine this becomes the, the French revolution. This becomes the reign of terror, right? Because now who gets to dominate? Is it queer theory or is it black theory? Is it, right. is it fat? Well, they're doing know? that to themselves already on sure. Twitter and yep. getting people fired from schools. I object to the idea, continue the letter, that blacks are unable to succeed in this country without aid from government or from whites. Brearley, by adopting critical race theory, is advocating the abhorrent viewpoint that blacks should forever be regarded as helpless victims and are incapable of success regardless of their skills, talents, or hard work. What Brearley is teaching our children is precisely the true and correct definition of racism. I object to mandatory anti-racism training for parents, especially when presented by the rent-seeking charlatans of Pollyanna. These sessions, in both their content and delivery, are so sophomoric and simplistic, so unsophisticated and inane, that I would be embarrassed if they were taught to brearly kindergartners. They are an insult to parents and unbecoming of any educational institution, let alone one of Brearley's caliber. Mm. I object to Brearley's vacuous, inappropriate, and fanatical use of words such as equity, diversity, and inclusiveness. If Brearley's administration was truly concerned about so-called equity, it would be discussing the cessation of admissions preferences for legacies, siblings, and those families with especially deep pockets. If the administration was genuinely serious about diversity, it would not insist on the indoctrination of its students and their families to a single mindset, most reminiscent of the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Instead, the school would foster an environment of intellectual openness and freedom of thought. 
and if Brearley really cared about inclusiveness, the school would return to the concepts encapsulated in the motto, One Brearley, instead of teaching the extraordinarily divisive idea that there are only and always two groups in this country, victims and oppressors. I object to Brearley's advocacy for groups and movements such as Black Lives Matter, a Marxist, anti-family, heterophobic, anti-Asian, and anti-Semitic organization that neither speaks for the majority of the black community in this country, nor in any way, shape, or form represents their best interests. I object to, as we have been told time and time again over the past year, that the school's first priority is the safety of our children. For goodness sake, Brearley is a school, not a hospital. Oh, <laughs> the number one priority of a school has always been and always will be education. Brearley's misguided priorities exemplify both the safety culture and cover your rear culture that together have proved so toxic to our society and have so damaged the mental health and resiliency of two generations of children and counting. I object to the gutting of the history, civics, and classical literature curriculums. I object to the censorship of books that have been taught for generations because they contain dated language, potentially offensive to the thin-skinned and hypersensitive, something that has already happened in my daughter's fourth grade class. I object to the lowering of standards for the admission of students and for the hiring of teachers. I object to the erosion of rigor in classwork and the escalation of grade inflation. Mm. Any parent with eyes open can foresee these inevitabilities should anti-racism initiatives be allowed to persist. We have today in our country, from both political parties and at all levels of government, the most unwise and unvirtuous leaders in our nation's history. Schools like Brearley are supposed to be the training grounds for those leaders. Our nation will not survive a generation of leadership even more poorly educated than we have now, nor will we survive a generation of students taught to hate its own country and despise its history. Lastly, I object with as strong a sentiment as possible that Brearley has begun to teach what to think instead of how to think. Mm, I love this guy. <laughs> I object that the school is now fostering an environment where our daughters and our daughters' teachers are afraid to speak their minds in class for fear of consequences. I object that Brearley is trying to usurp the role of parents in teaching morality mm -hmm. and bullying parents to adopt that false morality at home. I object that Brearley is fostering a divisive community where families of different races, which until recently were part of the same community, are now segregated into two. These are the reasons why we can no longer send our daughter to Brearley. Over the past several months, I have personally spoken to many Brearley parents as well as parents of children at peer institutions. It is abundantly clear that the majority of parents believe that Brearley's anti-racism policies are misguided, divisive, counterproductive, and cancerous. And that's a snapshot of our nation. The majority doesn't yeah. want this but it's all about this isn't yeah this isn't the temper tantrums <clears throat> it's not happening in a corner somewhere this is happening nationwide by a small group of people asserting uh, a very um irrational yeah <laughs> <laughs> i can't even think How of the word times I'm sorry. Is, yeah yeah i uh, just <laughs> an, an irrational agenda and 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 so this idea of what to think and not how to think um is is a postmodern construct. It is a critical yes. theory construct that we needed to, this is 1984. Yeah. Right. This is, I mean, in the 90s, political correctness got really big. That was kind of their first attempt. It it didn't go very far. It kind of got pushed back. And then in the, the early 2000s, a reassertion under the, the, the term social justice mm -hmm. uh, was put forth again. And now it has, it has gained so much um, momentum, yeah. you know, in the school, in, in the school uh, system, in, in our politics, you yeah. know, this is what's driving and, and forget where you are on the political aisle for just a moment. And he mentions this, um, we are a nation full of unwise leaders, but the current administration is espousing this very 
critical theory view as policy. And and all you have to do is go to whitehouse.gov and, and you can read they're yes. espousing this. Well, I want to finish this letter because <clears throat> the last thing That's here is finished. this oh, call. Oh, no, it's not sorry. finished. There's a call to action. <laughs> okay. And good. that will take us right into our pra- the practical portion of the podcast. We are still going to get practical, folks. Yeah. Okay. Many believe, as I do, that these policies will ultimately destroy what was until recently a wonderful educational institution. But as I am sure will come as no surprise to you, given the insidious cancel culture that has of late permeated our society, most parents are too fearful to speak up. But speak up you must. There is strength in numbers, and I assure you the numbers are there. Contact the administration, the board of trustees, and demand an end to the destructive and anti-intellectual claptrap known as anti-racism. And if changes are not forthcoming, then demand new leadership. For the sake of our community, our city, our country, and most of our all our children, silence is no longer an option. Yeah. Well, this... Ooh. First of all, this, this guy is awesome, and he, reading that letter was a pleasure. <laughs> I mean, reading it out loud. Yeah. yeah like he, he has such a voice, so... Find a, a, find a voice. A strong, a strong voice. So, <clears throat> pardon me, the very first call to action here, obviously, is if you are in a public school system or any private school system that is espousing this critical race theory, get out. Get them out, yes. <clears throat> and, the, yeah, go ahead. Well, it, we, what we have here, he, he, the letter is about critical race theory. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's dominating our thoughts right now. Right. It, it has had particular success. Um, and so many, many families are having to, to face this. You, you know, you have to face it in the workplace. It's, it's everywhere, but crit, but critical theory yeah. and the absence of an absolute truth is the real problem. It is. And, and so the, the call to action, the call to action is however this manifests itself, it is in opposition to the capital T truth, right? Yes. Truth is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. And, and so the second call to action, I would say, the second practical thing is to become active ourselves. Through- Show the same passion these enemies of God are showing. Yes, absolutely. In in homeschool co-ops, uh, even if even if you say, well, that'll never come into our, our homeschool co-op, that'll never come into our own home, but it's it's manifesting itself in pop music, yep. in corporate uh, advertisements and and we mentioned several of these you know the disability uh, theory or or obese I mean literally obese people um, have in they, they have a a sort of um, a voice just the same way as the oppressed black person because obesity isn't seen as the norm it's not seen as healthy and so therefore we're going to take this idea so of, of obesity now it can be uh, queer gender um, the uh, the um, uh, what is it called when I cannot believe I can't think of this word uh, when, when you um, come into a country and take it over and um, invade it, conquer it, conquer it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> colonization, hey. there we go. post colonization. Oh my goodness. I can't, I, believe- I should have found that word because that is a, that's a, 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 a critical theory thing. Well, right? po- so post-colonial. I- Thought. Yes, it is post-colonial. So post-colonial theory is one of these. So all of all of these theories are part of critical theory. What what we see in you know critical race theory is just one form of that. That's right. But and it's so, everywhere. So critical theory has been in your university campuses for twenty years. This is why we have safe spaces. Right. Exactly that isn't. Right. It isn't just because all the you know we sometimes look at that and say these crybabies, these kids' feelings and emotions. No, in in critical theory. Their emotions and feelings 
are just as legitimate as say one one plus one equals two. Right, which is why, just to repeat a call to action we've we've had through throughout this season of pod, of uh, podcast episodes. Educate for Jesus. Right. Whatever you have to do, if you can't pay fifty four thousand <laughs> a year, <laughs> then homeschool in your garage. Like whatever it takes. Yes, Christians. Christians need to be aware that these things exist in our culture everywhere. Yeah. Disney is a big proponent of that, and and I've never been a person that you know. I don't. I don't know that. Um, when when we uh, boycott things, that it's always as effective as we wish it wish it would be. Um, but we do need to be aware that this is insidious, you know, to go back to that word. Um, it, it is everywhere and it is, um, it's infiltrating things that we don't even realize commercials on television, um, to, um, you know, to the products that you buy. And to understand that, you know, we're, we're going to talk shortly, uh, about being critical, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, (laughs) about critical theory. Uh, but let's understand that, when we say insidious, we don't only mean that it sneaks into institutions and uh, you know all, all the various branches of of American life. We also mean that it's insidious in the individual. Right. Feminism, feminist theory, is a part of critical theory, and you know, I've had many conversations uh, with my wife, initiated by my wife over uh, the years, our years of marriage, about how. Feminism sneaks into your thinking. I've had those conversations with my mom, come to think of it, mm-hmm. right? Where you, you're you not a feminist on purpose and haven't been for years. And then you realize, oh, this behavior is, is one I learned from feminist expectations. Right. Right. And so it just sneaks in. That happens to all of us. Sure it is. But we, we need to be aware that that's the sort of poison that we're dealing with. And that doesn't mean we have to hide in a closet, but it does need mean we, that we need to consciously put on the armor of God and see that these are fiery arrows. So, so pull out. Okay. Right. Out of the, you know, public school system, out of private school systems like this, this guy did, but speak up. So we, we need to speak up wherever we have a voice city hall to, you know, um, you know, you're voting to, to wherever we have to speak up this way. And to speak up, you have and, to see, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Well, to speak up, we have to see. And, and one of the things that, that, that brings to mind is having conversations, right. right? So as families, we have to talk about this stuff directly, right? Right. And, and not simply to say, well, uh, you know, this is, this is what the scriptures say. This is how the history of God's world has unfolded, but to, but to not so not only the positive but to directly engage with the negative and say my son my daughter did you see that story about this pop star or that news story and here is here is where all this wrong think is yes so you we we have to become like Francis Schaeffer that that postmodern theologian right the postmodern yeah. um you know thinker in terms of deconstructing where these worldviews are coming from. And, you know, everything has meaning. All language has meaning. All of these symbols, these ideas, these things being, they all have meaning. And and we need to learn what they mean. Yes. And it's not just words have meaning. Ice cream sundaes and snails have meaning. Right. <laughs> they, they it all do. has meaning. Yeah. And so we need to be able to, if we, if we look at the world that way, we will not be careless about someone who wants to tear down a statue of any white man from the 19th century. Right. So the, the call to action, and, and we just keep coming back to this in, in the practical sense, is 
we need to get down into the weeds. We need to get down into the weeds in, in education, in our communities. And if, if I might be so bold is, is we actually need to get back to being evangelistic in, in, you said it earlier in terms of, you know, being as active about, you know, they're active, you know, they're, they're evangelizing this, this theory, but we have the truth in Christ and, and that truth needs to get out there. That truth needs to be, you know, propagated, not just with our own children, but with our neighbors and, and in our communities as a legitimate truth, because yes. it is the truth. And, and as we encourage you in this, I, I encourage you to be loud, but not strident, mm-hmm. not only for the sake of the sanity of, of your family, <laughs> uh, but for your own sake and for the testimony that, that you bear. Yeah. Um, so be firm, but not shrill. <laughs> exactly. And so that means that, you know, we, we don't fly off the handle at the latest ridiculous thing that Biden or Harris has said. Uh, but instead we're able, as you said, to deconstruct, to be objective. Yep. We can still be loud, mm-hmm. you know, but um, we want to, so because we have God on our side, we don't have to play the victim. We don't have to be shrill. We don't have to throw a temper tantrum. Right. We, we have to be strong in the Lord. We have to continue in that tradition that is the truth, right? You know, in terms of even how we approach our communication, rational discourse, even when the the enemy doesn't want, you know, there to be, and, and I'm calling the enemy because they think anybody who doesn't hold yeah. their position is the enemy. Oh, they're very open about that. Yes. And so, well, as you can tell, I think we're both pretty passionate about you yeah. know, this. Um, you know, and, and one thing I didn't mention earlier, we, we talked about... Um, uh, social justice being a term that's used, political correctness, uh, wokeness. There's another term. These are the terms that are are basically, you know, the kind of the street terms for right. you know this this theory that's being put out there. So look for it, be aware of it. Yep, and pull your kids out of government schools and talk to them a lot. Thanks, everybody. So long. <laughs>